I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Well, hello. Welcome to the 10th snack-sized episode of IntroVets Podcast. JJ. Yes. How has this week gone? What's the silver lining for you, best thing that happened to you this week? I had a good session with my therapist who has given me pointers on how not to have a little mini explosion when mm. I feel like someone's either disregarding my boundaries or if someone's speaking to me in a way that I feel like is too aggressive, then I kind of have a tendency just because I'm still learning how to be in the moment and feel the feelings that I feel instead of shoving them away and not dealing with them, that it's just kind of like little mini volcanic eruptions that oh, it's not no. really <laughs> professional or cool. So I have to learn how to deal with that. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I, I am looking forward to like the Halloween candy coming out <laughs> and, you know, that big ass bag of Tootsie Roll assorted things. The kitty mix? I, I don't know if what if it's called that or not. Oh. It's like it's got the different flavors of Tootsie Rolls in it, like the fruit Mm-mm. flavors and the different like Tootsie Roll pops and the sort it has the dots and that's Ben's favorite, so he gets all that, the dots. That is what you guys like that's for Halloween candy. My happy candy, yes. I mean oh we God. get assorted stuff to give out to family for the family Halloween thing, but um that's my favorite. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. well, uh, we would just be highly compatible uh, with Halloween candy because that's all the stuff that I hate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm like "Mm, (laughs) Reese's cups, you know. Well, let's see. I've actually done a lot this week. I shared last time that my repairs on my house were finally complete. So I was able to complete projects that... I had lined up and then have had to be put on hold for six months. And I also got a planner. So my good friend and fellow relief veterinarian, Dr. Agnew, showed me her planner that she uses. She, you know, orders it online from a special company and it's completely custom made. That thing is amazing. Yeah. And so... I had thought about it off and on for a while, but like, well, I really use the planner, you know, and everything. And then I decided for my birthday that I was going to order myself one because right now I use my phone for everything, but there's no centralized place for me to keep all of my stuff. So I've got some stuff saved in calendar, some stuff saved in notes. We have a separate podcasting calendar, you know, then stuff that's not even in my phone that I just have to remember. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to be the one that always has to remember. So I ordered myself a planner. When I ordered it, I got an email that said that they had rejected my design because of inappropriate and foul language. And I was like, what? <laughs> but then I remembered that I had put the subtitle, get your shit together. So they don't allow that. Oh, no. So now I have the one planner, the one place, everything completely condensed onto one page. I was so excited. And it took me like a whole day to pull all of the stuff out of my brain, it was eye-opening. I've taken a picture of it, and I'm going to post it to social media just as a flippant example 
of the stuff that we all carry around, that emotional labor type burden of always being the one that plans and always the one in charge of crap. Mm -hmm. Seeing it written down, because my favorite thing is to tell myself, ah, but you don't do that much. You're not busier than most people. You know, I tell, tell myself that a lot. And so then when I wrote everything down, I was like, my God, no wonder I am struggling. Mm-hmm. I can't even fit it all in a planner designed to fit it all in. It's unbelievable the amount of stuff that I've had to just white knuckle try to remember. And so now that I've downloaded all that information onto my planner from my brain, my brain is like, oh, this is so much better. <laughs> if I'm like, I don't know what I need to do, because I um, if I have too big of a list, I'll get like bogged down and like unable to figure out what things should be first. And I kind of then just don't start anything. Mm-hmm. If that yeah, doesn't that, make sense, but that's what happens. It, it makes sense. It's that perfectionist procrastination mm. thing. Yes. It's like you're, you, you plan it, you want it to be perfect, but you can also foresee that there's too much and you get overwhelmed and then you just don't do any of it. Yeah. I get overwhelmed and I feel like, uh, I don't know the exact right order, but now it's written down. So if I get that anxious feeling, I get my planner out and I'm like, okay, what's on the schedule for today? And if it gets over a certain number, then I write it down for a different day. <laughs> that sounds really simple, but for me, this is like groundbreaking. I, I don't. I, I think people are going to listen to this and be like, "This is just a basic human skill." I don't know why. Like, why at almost forty are you just figuring this out? But I'm telling you that it is life changing. Oh my god, I have never been so effective before. Like I've always done a lot of stuff, but never really felt like man, I'm getting stuff accomplished. Something about seeing it written down and those check marks checked off. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, it is so good. And then you get on a roll and you're like, I've gotten five out of six check marks. Like, I want to get that sixth check mark. You're getting them dopamine hits. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I've just like made huge strides towards like organizing my mind and the amount of relief that I feel is just really unexpected. Anyway. That I'm sounds, super excited. That sounds like very pleasing to the ears. This has been our personal organization uh, <laughs> corner. Like, I actually like organizing stuff a lot. Yeah, it appeals to the control freak in me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, look, you get you have an off day once a week. Why can you not clean the damn house? I mean, even better than that, I didn't work for seven months. Mm-hmm. I did do some things during that time, but not near the things that I really wanted that that I thought I would be doing. So remember what Dr. Funkin said, you know, that you have to go through a time period of healing. Mm, And so I think that's what you were working on was the healing rather than organization. And so I think just get, you have to give yourself a break on that. I have like, tried to be better about thinking about that time period is not time wasted, but time spent like, because I mean, I did a lot of thinking during that time. We just put you on cage rest, JJ. Yes. (laughs) 
Yes. And sometimes I'm like, what's up? I might have come out of that cage a little too soon. Right. Even though I felt like I was 100% ready. <laughs> well, speaking of the episode with Dr. Fonkin, mm-hmm. we had a lot of response to that episode from listeners who wrote in to say, hey, I feel the same way. I've had these feelings that we're talking about, these edge states. I've been burned out. I've felt moral distress before. Thank you for talking about it. The number of people that reached out to me alone shows me just how prevalent this type of feeling is. So I would like to say, listeners, thank you for letting us know that the work that we're doing makes a difference. Yeah, and this is uh, September Suicide Awareness Month. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing you can do is talk about it. Yeah. And that's going to be less isolating as soon as, as you do. I think that the more that we can normalize this sort of thing, the better. It would be a great, I think, to get to a place where we could talk about these types of issues with our coworkers, you know, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Not, I mean, colleagues, absolutely, but coworkers in the same practice. And if we're seeing like a rash of burnout in the same practice, that, you know, that should be an indicator that we need to change some things. It might not be comfortable to, mm-hmm. but what we do is important, but it's not worth dying over. Mm-mm. I mean, it's not. So anyway, if you guys are hearing this, you're feeling lost, you're feeling alone, reach out, reach out to somebody, reach out to us, reach out to Vets for Vets or Support for Support, call a therapist. They even have like text-based therapy and stuff now. So Yeah, and it doesn't make you a weak person. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not strong enough to handle something. It just, it just means you need some help mm-hmm. and everybody needs help every now and then. Nobody can do everything on their own. Well, so today's episode uh, is going to be a listener letter. Dear introverts, I am a non-veterinarian staff member at a hospital where multiple veterinarians work. The owner of the hospital is a veterinarian that works mostly at another hospital. One of the veterinarians I work with is giving clients sketchy advice. This veterinarian is up to date on some aspects of medical care, but very old school and out of date in others. Some of the decisions this veterinarian makes are unsafe for the patients. I don't have a hostile relationship with this veterinarian but there is no way that they would listen to a staff member about medical concerns. I have gone to the owner of the hospital with my concerns, and they agreed that they need to talk with the veterinarian who is doing the outdated things, but it keeps happening. I don't think the owner of the hospital has actually ever talked with the other veterinarian at all, and that this was just a way to pacify me. Other staff members have also noticed that this veterinarian makes unsafe decisions, and the staff actively avoids scheduling any complex medical cases with this veterinarian because they are afraid the veterinarian will harm the patients. I feel like there is nothing I can do, and I just have to accept it because I don't want to be labeled as a troublemaker and fired. What can I do to make the owner of the hospital listen to me? (laughs) Oh, that's a whole big can of worms. It is. There's a lot of things. I guess let's just start by naming all of the issues that we're seeing here. So a non-veterinarian staff member 
in the position of needing to talk with the veterinarian about concerns about out-of-date practices. So that's kind of one aspect is the power differential there is kind of out of whack. Yeah. Uh, it seems like there's a lack of trust in the management to yeah. um, handle the problem. And they don't feel like that their their needs are being met and their concerns are being heard, per se. It looks like we've got some moral distress happening. Mm-hmm. The staff, the person that's writing, and then also they're indicating that other staff in the same hospital are all experiencing moral distress about these out-of-date practices. Mm-hmm. So it, there's a lot of things here. Ugh, this is a tough one. So I think anytime we've got like a kind of a multifaceted issue, it's important to like think about all the different aspects of it because there's a lot of room for miscommunication in a, in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of room for egos <laughs> to kind of trip over one another, you know, and, and yeah. that sort of thing. So the person writing to us is a non-veterinarian staff member. So... I mean, I think of if you're a fellow vet, it's a little bit of a different thing to handle than if you're a non-veterinarian staff. Oh, it's a huge, okay. huge difference. Um, and it, it can be different based on the veterinarian because, I mean, yeah. if you feel comfortable enough to approach that veterinarian, that's one thing. But there's even still a a pretty big fear there because, you know, there's an education difference. So what... I may see as something that makes me uncomfortable. I may not totally understand everything because, I mean, that has happened before where I'm like, mm. now, wouldn't you do this in this situation? And so I just try to figure out the best way to ask. And oh. most of the time yeah. that's, you know, that's handled pretty well. But there has been times where it hasn't. And it's like the other the veterinarian feels like I'm attacking them. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just trying to understand and there's still some times where even after it's explained and I'm like, mm, hmm, I mean, there's other times where blatant things have been like, I'm like, OK, this is not right. But um, I don't know. You have to kind of come from the standpoint of there may be something you don't understand. But if you're 100 percent sure that you understand and you still feel like there's something going on, there's still apprehensive, at least on my part, because, I mean, veterinarians to me are I mean, they you know, they're your bosses and it's very intimidating mm. to question. You have to remember there's five different ways usually to do something. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but I think in this case, it sounds like it's something that's actually like bad and incorrect and needs to be addressed. And the way the person is describing the veterinarian, they're not somebody that they feel comfortable talking to about it because they've yeah. already said like this person is going to be, you know, not going to listen to anything the staff has to say. There's a perception of it doesn't matter what I say. I am going to probably be belittled because I am in this position and not at the same level. And who's to say that veterinarian may belittle other veterinarians, too, that are younger than they are. Uh, it's a bad position to be in. Yeah. As support staff, a lot of times you feel like you're easily replaceable. So it m- makes you feel like you're trapped in certain situations when you're really not. It sounds like that the staff member writing this letter kind of knew 
I shouldn't go to the veterinarian that's doing those things. So they did the next best thing. And I'm I'm assuming that they didn't have an office manager in this situation that's like an HR type person that the Mm -hmm. owner of the clinic functions in that manner. If you've tried to have a civil conversation and reach out and kind of have like a learning situation with the the veterinarian that's doing things that are unsafe and that has not worked, then it is time to involve management in that. Mm-hmm. How can we approach this veterinarian from a non-veterinarian staff member standpoint or even a veterinarian standpoint How can we do that without making them upset? Well, even that's the wrong word because you can't control what people's reactions to you are. You know, Mm -hmm. the only thing that you can do is really just be calmly assertive. And um, however they react is how they react. You you actually can't control that at all. Mm -hmm. And so then it comes back to that being comfortable with people being upset with you, (laughs) which is a hard place, you know. Yes, yes, it is. So... Um, to the person who wrote this, if you don't feel like you have the type of relationship with the veterinarian that's doing these things to say, hey, I need to chat with you. The things that I need to say might be hard to hear, but it's important for me to talk about them anyway. I see you making X recommendations or doing X, Y, Z things. My concern is that that is unsafe. I've brought some documentation with me, some studies, some research, blah, 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 you know, whatever it is, showing what the current recommendations are. I wanted to make you aware of this information and let you know that this is making me uncomfortable. And I'm wondering if we can maybe talk about that and see if we can come to, you know, kind of an understanding. Now, that's much easier for a fellow veterinarian to do. If you're a non-veterinarian staff member, I really think that you should just go to your office manager or whoever handles the HR. Mm -hmm. I I think you have to have a you have to have a good relationship with the veterinarian in question to to have that conversation. And it sounds like this staff member does not. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's never a situation where a non non vet could go to a vet and say, hey, this is making me feel worried. Can we talk about this? In fact, I would hope that you work with people that are that open. I Mm -hmm. try to be. No one is perfect, though. Everyone has bad days. Everyone gets rubbed the wrong way. I can't guarantee that there would be a situation where the vet wouldn't be slightly irritated. I mean, I can't, right? We're just people. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in a perfect world, you would be able to have that conversation no matter who you are, and that the vet is not so flippant and secure that they just can't handle mild questioning. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying go in there, kick the door in and bust out the bazooka of you don't know what you're talking about. You know, like there are ways to handle this that are not aggressive, but are still calmly assertive. Um, but in this case, they have gone to the to the management and the management Um, either hasn't done anything or maybe did do something, but no changes have occurred, like true changes. Mm -hmm. Their question is, how do I make the owner of the hospital listen to me? I don't think you can. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that sounds terrible, but like, I don't know. 
if they're not receptive to what you're saying, I don't know that there's anything that you can do to like force them to listen. Yeah. And that's a, a very common issue support staff has is when there's a perceived problem that is morally distressing and it's brought to their attention and nothing happens. Cause that's, that can, oh, that can bring morale down so fast. And especially it like keeps going on and then you get new staff members and they see it and they bring it up and you're just like, well, feel free to go on your little moral crusade because we've all done it and we've gotten nowhere and they do it and then they become one of us, the disenchanted and Mm. there, there goes the hospital culture. (laughs) So yeah, it's a, it's a problem. And I don't, like you said, there's. If they, if you bring it to their attention, if more than one person has brought it to their attention and they don't feel like it's important enough to address, or maybe they're even afraid to approach that veterinarian themselves, I don't know. It might be best to look for employment elsewhere or, yeah, I don't know. I think if, so if you've gone so far as to take this to the owner of the practice, and this is a major, I mean, it sounds like we, we don't have specifics about what this about what the transgression was, but it's bad enough and ongoing. And the staff member felt passionately enough about it to take it to the owner vet. To me, that has to be pretty major for Mm -hmm. that to happen. Like we're not talking about a disagreement and how many weeks you should wait before between vaccines or something like. No, it sounds like it might be something that could be endangering the life of the pet. Yeah. So if, if our reading of that situation is correct, I think, that so number one, there isn't anything you can do to to quote make the owner of the hospital listen. You're not in control of that. Be assertive. If you can provide specific examples, provide those specific examples. Be sure to to say you know that also what it is that you want out of that conversation. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and then that makes you have to decide that ahead of time. Okay, is this Whatever this issue was, it sounds bad, okay? If it was really bad, then is it something that you are not going to be able to continue to do? You know, like, then you need to be prepared to make that statement. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing this happen. It's persistent. We've seen consequences to patients from it. I am no longer going to be involved in this type of procedure or this type of recommendation. I can't. I can't stand for it, you know, and then and have like a follow up about it. So it sounds like in this particular case, maybe rescheduling a meeting and saying, hey, I'd like to revisit this that we talked about. I'm still seeing this happen on a daily or weekly or whatever it may be basis. I continue to feel very uncomfortable about it. And since it's not changing, I'm going to have to fill in the blank, you know, I'm going to have to resign. I'm going to have to, you know, whatever the situation is, but I would probably leave this job. Mm -hmm. I would probably leave this job unless it was just really, truly a minor thing. Like, so there are really no big deal type things that everyone disagrees on, you know? Um, And then there are things that are like, gosh, most people are agreed that this is inappropriate. And if it's in the most people agree, this is an appropriate category and you are working with a a veterinarian who owns a clinic who isn't stepping in to protect the patients or even to protect themselves from the liability of this type of situation, then 
That's just not a place that's healthy to continue working. Mm -mm. And I think that's an easy thing to say, but it's true. (laughs) So, And it's okay. And it's okay, yeah. You can leave for that. I don't think that we need to compromise patient care to save our job. No, and if you did, you're not going to be able to live with it for long. Yeah. It's going to it's going to eat at you and it's going to make things a lot worse. So there's no reason to like, you know, say screw you guys, I'm out, slam the door, anything like that. Yeah, you, know, you don't be have respectful, to do that. work out your, you know, your yeah. two weeks notice. And we're not going to go, I think it's inappropriate to like go on social media tirade. Like we don't want to do any of those type of things, but no. I do think it's appropriate to say, "Hey, I brought this to your attention. I can't see any way that it's changed. Have you had that conversation yet? And if they say no, are you planning to to have that conversation? And if they say no, then I'm going to need to turn in my notice. Like that, that's really all it needs to be. And I think that's all you can do. And yeah. if it's a if it's a very, 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 very bad thing that's happened, then you need to evaluate your... Um, if you're licensed, if you're a veterinarian, you need to read the oath that you took very carefully in the State um, Practice Act very carefully to determine whether it might be something that you even need to report. Mm-hmm. Reporting exists for a reason, right? This listener did not provide any more detail than this, but I'm just going to pull an example out of thin air. Say you are a staff member that is witnessing an a veterinarian dealing with substance abuse. Maybe they're coming in drunk. Maybe they're operating on a patient drunk or they're getting high in the bathroom at the practice. I mean, that sounds very, I mean, it sounds really off the wall if you've not encountered that, but I'm telling you, like, it is not uncommon. It's more common than you think. Yes. If you are witnessing that type of thing, you've got to report that. You know, you have to report that. And that's just one example. And we could spend all day going through different examples and what to do, what not to do. But there are cases in which the right answer is not to just quietly go away. Sometimes you have to report. But again, that doesn't mean calling the media, getting on Facebook or whatever. What that means is going through the proper channels to report what's happening and then allowing Mm -hmm. an investigation to occur. Okay. So that's what I think. I think that you should make plans to not work at this facility anymore. If after you've had a follow-up conversation, you see absolutely no evidence that the that the owner veterinarian is going to handle this. Or, I mean, even worse, sometimes they'll say, yep, I'm definitely going to handle it. And then, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, then they just don't. <laughs> that's the more common of the scenarios. Yeah. It's like, you know, I hear you and, and I I want to make this better. And then, you know, action speaks louder than words. Cause... Right. So I think, um, yeah, I think outlining a specific situation. It, people get really upset about the idea of like, uh, what is it called? Um, what's it called, JJ, when you say like, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this ultimatum there it is yeah you know giving ultimatums i think is um seen in a bad light but there are times when you need to utilize that okay Mm -hmm. we don't need to 
to set ultimatums by you know because we're pitching a fit because we didn't get scheduled on a day that we wanted or whatever you know but like for something like like a major patient issue um if it's a substance abuse issue uh if the if the veterinarian is assaulting the staff in some way if i mean there's so many things like that you know that that is an ultimatum worthy situation so mm-hmm. There are times when you need to give the ultimatum. If this doesn't stop immediately, this is going to be the consequence, right? Yeah. Now, if you have that conversation, what if the boss is like, fine, get the fuck out, you know, like, okay, that is actually a good thing. Like, mm-hmm. then you know that you're dealing with someone kind of unreasonable that you don't need to work for anyway. Plus, if they fire you, then you get to collect unemployment, whereas if you quit, <laughs> then you don't, right? So, like, the the I'm afraid of getting fired. Um, every single person who works in veterinary medicine that I know of is bright, capable, driven, intelligent. We have other job opportunities. There are other clinics that need your help. There are other careers that you can have. There are other ways to make money, okay? And Mm -hmm. so don't ever feel like, I don't care what your position is, don't ever feel like I am trapped in this job because I have to have money. There are other jobs to be had. You can do it. I promise. I promise. And especially if you're a non-vet staff member, a hospital like the one that you're describing, I mean, I'm guessing that you don't get paid much anyway. So like... um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, hey, there there are all types of things that you can do for a short period of time. You don't have to have the ultimate perfect job opportunity lined up first. It can just be any job. It does not matter. Any job. Right. I mean, it, it. just think of like, what else can we do to earn money and have that in our back pocket? That independence, that that feeling of having options it makes you powerful mm-hmm. and it makes you feel powerful and it makes you feel fulfilled. I mean, plus if think if uh, you've been in the vet field for long enough, there are certain things that you're, you've been willing to kind of deal with. It makes you a valuable employee for other areas. Yes. Yes. And if you have to step away from veterinary field for any amount of time, doesn't matter how long it is, because you needed to get out yourself out of a bad situation. Okay, that's completely mm-hmm. fine. It's That's fine. <laughs> Maybe even necessary. So my main advice to you, listener, is not about how to get the owner to listen to you, because I just don't think it's possible. And by that, I mean, no things that you can do will will force the owner of the hospital to listen to what you have to say. I think if you've already presented a clear-cut case that you've done everything that you can do. Yep. But that also doesn't mean that I think that you should stop speaking up or that you should just sit back and take it. I think that you should then make plans to say, okay, I'm going to give them X amount of weeks or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, it, and if they're, ma- if they're saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk to them. Okay, when do you expect that conversation to occur? Mm-hmm. Right. Go ahead and ask questions like what. So when is that conversation going to happen? What day was it that you talked to them? You know, that kind of a thing. And so then you can be yeah, like, follow up. Yeah. So um, I know that you were supposed to have that conversation a week ago. I need to touch base with you because I'm still seeing this happening. 
Did you have that conversation with them like we talked about? You know, what was the result of it? If you don't feel comfortable with that, then I think you need to leave this particular position and find a different one that you that's that's more in line with the type of care that you want to provide. This does not strike me as a situation that you're going to be happy in long term, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And you're, it's important for you to be happy. So there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've pretty fairly covered that topic. JJ, <laughs> yes. what announcements do we have before we sign off today? Uh, the 2020 AAFP feline vaccination guidelines are out. So good reading material there. Yep. Everybody check those out. Mm-hmm. If you have stories, those could be funny client interactions, cases, complex medical problems, or I guess now we're opening an advice column as well. <laughs> <laughs> send those to our email which is introvetspodcast at gmail.com check us out on facebook and instagram too and don't forget to like subscribe and rate the podcast yes please and we'll see you next time bye bye <laughs>